with computer audio. Ah, there we go. Hello, hello. Hello. So, did you get to hear me saying goodbye to my mom? I didn't, no. <laughs> okay, because I was joining and I thought, yeah, I think I might have already joined. And I was saying goodbye to my mom because I, uh, you know, called her for Mother's Day, which I hope yeah, you of course. as well. Uh, well, yeah. our, our Mother's Day was um, two months ago, actually. Ours was back, oh, well, in, never mind. back in March, so. Um, we, we had a nice, nice day in because it was right at the beginning of lockdown. So, yeah, here I am thinking American Mother's Day is just the same worldwide, but no, it's not exactly <laughs> how it works. So, all right, cool. Well, yeah, I got a, I got a few minutes for you. Um, Brilliant. Well, I mean, I just want to start by saying thank you for uh, yeah, sure. you know, coming on, taking the time out. Um, as soon as you know, I asked you, and you, you said that you would. It was, uh, it was amazing. Um, so <laughs> I, I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, no worries. No worries. I get the occasional request from, uh, you know, either a, a, a gamer or a, a fan of the game or something like that. And what it boils down to is, um, yeah, if we can figure out the logistics of it, great. Some people don't have that much figured out or they, they, yeah. they're not good at communicating following up. And in other cases, yeah, it's something we can figure out pretty easy. So there yeah, you go. Well, I really appreciate it. So yeah, uh, sure. So to start things off, what inspired you to become a voice actor? Because I know you obviously you did comedy, stand-up comedy beforehand. Um, but what, what was the kind of pinnacle moment that you kind of thought, yeah, voice acting is a thing I, I kind of want to do. This is something that interests me a lot. Yeah, they, um, the two vocations kind of go ahead. They went hand in hand for me, even when I didn't know it, because in the beginning, as a kid, I was always doing voices to amuse my brothers, and then I did it to amuse my friends. And so this sort of, you know, lather, rinse, and repeat over the next, uh, geez, 15 years. And then in college, a friend of mine said, you know, you should seriously consider becoming a comic. You're really funny with this stuff. I didn't do anything about it until I went away for school because I spent the first two years at home doing a local college. Then I went away to a big university. University of Georgia. And then my senior year, I had already done drama. I was a drama minor. So I had done a couple of plays and I thought I really enjoy being in front of an audience and performing and being part of a crew. And one night, one of my roommates came home and uh, we were living in an off campus apartment. We were all seniors. And he said, Hey, uh, one of the guys in this like journalism club I'm in, because I was also a journalism major, he was a journalism major and he said, right. yeah, one of these guys is also in, um, he's in a comedy club they started, like not a brick and mortar club, but just a club of people that meet and they do shows once a month. They're going to meet tonight. You ought to go meet with them. I said, okay, sure. And so I went and met with them. It's just a bunch of guys sitting in one of the meeting rooms they'd give you on campus. And they said, yeah, we're doing a show tomorrow night. You can come out and do some stage time if you want. I thought, okay, sure. And I had had some half-assed uh, bit of material based around impressions. And uh, I did that with some observational stuff. Got a really good response. So I started pursuing stand-up. We would do the shows once every three weeks, once a month. And after about a year of that, I was graduated. And then I went home and found the local comedy club and got into their open mic. And pretty soon they were giving me regular MC work. So it was paid MC work. And then um, I finally said, okay, I need to get out of Savannah, Georgia, which is my hometown. And um, I got into uh, an apartment in Orlando with one of my stand-up buddies in college. They said, let's go right. down to Orlando together. 
because I originally wanted to go straight to LA from Savannah, which would have been, I believe, an unmitigated disaster. Would have been just horrible mm. because I didn't know anything and I didn't have nearly the um, self-knowledge or self-confidence I would have needed to navigate what LA is, which is a shark tank, an absolute right. shark tank. Orlando is a pond. It's a little pond full of some guppies and smaller fish. <laughs> and I did fine there. I, I progressed at the rate I should have progressed, made all the mistakes I was due to make. And while I was busy doing stand-up, I, here's how easy it is, or it was in 1993, 1994 to get an agent in Orlando. I opened up the phone book and I said, okay, I've been, yeah, it was actually about probably six months after I had moved. I said, okay, I've been doing this stand-up for about six months now or so, give or take. I'm working regularly. I'm still doing a day job, you know, or I have to wait tables occasionally, but I, I'm making ends meet. So I would like to see if I can get the on-camera acting going too. And I literally opened up the yellow pages to talent agents. And I right. just picked one that was in a neighborhood that I thought was a nice neighborhood. And I thought, well, if they're in a nice neighborhood, they must be making some money to afford that lease. And so exactly. they must be okay. And Florida is a right to work state, meaning you can have as many agents as you want. You don't have to be in the union. So they can't really sign you exclusively. And so you could have two or three agents when the auditions would come, they would have to race to the phone to call you <laughs> and tell you about it to beat out the other agents. So whatever agency you put down on the casting sheet is the agent that would get the commission if you booked it. Right. So you could cold call an agent. I cold called an agent. One of the agents answered the phone. I chatted with them and said, hey, um, yeah, I'm a stand-up comic and I did some acting in college and uh, yeah, I'd like to get into acting here. Um, how do you guys take on new clients? And he says, well, he chatted with me for a minute. He says, all right, uh, come on down to the office uh, like next week and um, uh, you know, uh, I'll chat with you for a little bit. So I sat at his desk, chatted with him some, and he said, okay, here's a monologue. Take it home. Come back. I can't remember if he said it was next week or the next day, but I came back. I did the monologue, and he says, okay, I'll work with you. And the very first audition I went on, I booked it. And I thought, oh, well, this is easy. <laughs> But it wasn't. It was a fluke. It was. Uh, it, it basically was a, an industrial commercial, and that was like for Armed Forces TV. And they wanted somebody who could look and sound like Barney Fife from the Andy Griffith Show, right? Which is just. I don't know how popular it is in England. People may not know about it at all, but in in the United States, it was phenomenally popular. And even in the '90s, people knew who Barney Fife was. And so I went out and got from a costume shop a deputy's hat and dressed up like the character and showed up practically in character and booked it. And I thought, oh, well, so you just show up as the character they want to hire you for and you'll just get the audition. You'll get it. <laughs> and so I, I realized mean, imagine later- Imagine working for Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I realized later, embarrassingly, that is not the case. They just want to know if you can act. Yeah. So, uh, but I started to get the occasional job. And then the agents there don't just do on camera. They would also occasionally give me a voiceover job, you know, or a voiceover audition. They said, yeah, you're good with those voices. Try this. Or 
because I was known around the local comedy clubs, some of the advertising guys would go to the clubs, find guys that could do it. And one guy found me and said, okay, how would you like to do some local radio spots? I'll pay you, you know, 300 bucks or whatever it was. And so I would be my own agent for that. And I started getting bits and pieces of work either through an agency or through local contacts I had made. In Orlando, being a small town, word travels fast. So this is, in addition to just sort of recounting how I got into it, also advice for anybody that is starting in a small market, don't be afraid of the time you're spending in a small market taking time away from you being in the big time. You don't need to be in the big time if you're starting out. You need to be in an environment in which you feel comfortable enough to trust whatever talent and craft you've built. And if you're on a big stage with a lot of competition, I have a feeling that's going to give you more nerves and self-doubt than perhaps you're ready for. And in my case, it was exactly the right thing for me to do. Some people can throw themselves onto the stage with no advance notice and they just rise to the occasion. But for the most part, I found it works the other way. And in my case, I spent four years in Orlando, gradually building up a resume, gradually building up a comedy club act, and knowing that I could handle that kind of challenge. And finally, I would say in 97, I had booked the part of uh, Spider-Man on the Islands of Adventure theme park ride in Orlando. Right. So if you go on the Spider-Man ride, that's me. And I'm also J. Jonah Jameson on that ride. And I'd gotten that from just sort of doing temp work, uh, scratch tracks, as they call them, mm -hmm. voices for the ride as they were developing the ride. And they decided to cast me as the lead voice in the ride because they just liked what I did. And I started recording that in 97. I didn't finish it until 99. They would do a session every few months go work on the ride, have me back in. Well, between 97 and 99, I had moved to LA. And I used that contact that I had built with Universal Studios to eventually get a meeting with um, a voiceover agent in LA. And they brought it up. I didn't. I was wondering, how am I ever going to get a voiceover agent in LA? I've been here for three years. And I'm working as a comic, but I'm working on the road. And I couldn't get arrested for anything else. And they just said, hey, um, we know an agent. We think uh, you guys would be a pretty good fit. And so uh, that agent is Pat Brady, who to this day is still my agent. She changed agencies and moved up to a really big one, CESD. Took me and some other clients with her. But Pat met me, and it was just like my original meeting with my first agent in Orlando. Um, she met me. She chatted with me. She got a feel for, you know, what I could do and then said, okay, go home, make a demo and come back. And that's what I did. I went home, I made a demo, I came back, I played it for her and she says, okay, I'll work with you. Let's edit this thing down and, um, and get you out there. And that's what she did. So it's, you know, long story short, too late. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a long journey punctuated by a few really important opportunities that I managed to um, I managed to successfully seize upon. And uh, it led me 
circuitously to talking to you because I, I've told others this. From the time I picked up that phone, starting with the day I picked up the phone in Orlando and cold called an agent out of the yellow book, out of the yellow pages of the phone book in 93, I could, in a handful of important pivots, I could tell you exactly how I got to right here talking to you right now being on the Simpsons for 10 seasons and being an Apex Legends, all of that came from me originally deciding to pick up the phone and cold call an agent out of the phone book in 1993. Brilliant. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see that you, you know, something so simple and so small yeah. can create that can create something so amazing. I mean, you've, as you said, you've been in Simpsons, you've been, uh, a part of Lord of the Rings in all of the games, which I Some must say, yeah. I've got to say, War in the North back in the day was one of my favorite games ever. Uh, and I think I died a lot in that game. I would yeah. never have batted an eyelid at your British accent. It was flawless. <laughs> oh, well, thank I went you. back I and they... watched it again with my friend today and it was <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> we, we both couldn't believe that it was actually you, you know, in a game that I mean, I've, I played a lot of the Lord of the Rings games and it's one of my favorite, favorite series ever. Um, and so, you know, being here talking to you, who's been a part of it and a part of all the game Lord of the Rings games I've played over the years is amazing, you know? Oh, well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, let me tell you, that British accent is tricky because um, when I, I recorded uh, Return of the King, and uh, I did that because Viggo Mortensen was done doing the games. And so they right. said, we need a voice match for him. And for that one, like I got the job based on, you know, my ability to do a Vigo. And they, I believe it was for that job. <laughs> they, they, um, they flew me up to EA uh, in Redwood Shores. I think it was, uh, I think it's Redwood City up in Northern California. They said that they want you there personally. And I thought, okay. And when I got there, it was either for that game or for, uh, it might have been Third Age, but I, I can't remember, but it was one where I um, also played a ranger. And right. as I get there, we're recording. As we start recording, a lady comes in and sits down, introduces herself to me, and she's British. She's the only Brit there. I thought, <laughs> well, I know what this is about. You know, I, I, I know what this is about. So she hears me for a few minutes and she said, okay, he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. <laughs> And she leaves. She says, yeah, Vigo has that sort of, uh, along with the other Americans in the cast, he's got sort of that pan-British accent. It's not from anywhere in particular. And I said, yeah, I kind of got that feeling that um, if they walked around London, people would go, where the hell are these guys from? Yeah. You know, that they're not really American, but they're not English. And um, because as I don't have to tell you this, England is kind of a thousand years old and those mm. accents have spread so far and wide and they are so region specific that I, if, if they had said, uh, Vigo, we need you to sound more from uh, Cheshire. Would you mind? It's like, um, it's going to sound exactly like what I've been doing if that's okay. <laughs> so yeah, well, I, I mean, like, it's every, every city's got it. So every city's got a new different, yeah. different tone, different, pitch you know it's all all different so yeah i noticed difficult. what sean Aston did what sean Aston did for um samwise seemed to be more um i don't know if that was kent or or york I, I i always get these two mixed up but i said that is not the london accent he's doing 
that is uh that's more that sounds more like a seaside accent almost yeah 100 percent. yeah it's a very yeah. very country accent um yeah yeah very very thick country it's kind of uh almost bristol with a bit of york almost. oh is it okay yeah all right yeah and i i'm fascinated by all that because i've i've got a pretty good ear but in order to do the accent properly i always say that um even if you luck out you're probably gonna fool somebody who's not from there but the longer you do it the more somebody who is actually from the region you're doing is going to pick up on little hitches here yeah there. so i think i benefited from the fact that it's a video game where you're getting one or two lines at a time you're not getting i mean the cinematics are probably not that long in that game so mm. um yeah i think uh i think maybe i lucked out there yeah <laughs> well i mean it, it was it was brilliant and you know back in the day playing playing all those games was a joy and knowing that you were part of it is is amazing oh well it was fun um i'll tell you this uh you being 19 um in your future you're going to be having a conversation with somebody who's going to say something like that to you you're going to think i can't believe chris was right about this but yes it just takes a little time <laughs> and before you know it someone less than half your age is going to be saying, I grew up playing that game or listening to you. And mm. you're going to think, wow, uh, that, that just seemed like it was a minute ago. <laughs> well, I mean, that, happened. It brings me on because I wanted to know, obviously you've done a lot of work throughout, um, throughout the years. Um, so if, if you can remember it at all, um, do you have a favorite line from any of your roles, like a favorite character and line that you did? Ooh. It's a hard one. I mean, I have some that stick out in the memory more than others. Um, I always love getting to work on The Simpsons, just being around that cast, even virtually. Yeah. Um, and any, they, basically what I do is I do a lot of very minor, you know, bits and pieces, parts that fill mm -hmm. in gaps for them. Um, all of those are always fun. I always, my heart always leaps when I get to see, oh, that's my name right there. I get to do this character. That's awesome. But uh, as far as jobs I had before that, there was one, um, there are two jobs in particular that stand out as having been the most fun I've ever had recording. And it, I think it probably comes through in the actual performance too. One of them is Celebrity Deathmatch. When they brought that show back for MTV2, I did Nick Diamond and Mills Lane, the referee. Right. And I was basically voice matching the actors that did them previously. Mills Lane was an actual person. May he rest in peace. He passed away. Uh, I believe he, well, he might not have passed away, but I think he did. Um, if not, my apologies, Mills. <laughs> um, but he's, his health made it, un, you know, he, he was unable to do the role. Right. And Nick Diamond was just based on a character that a previous actor created. And we had the best time recording that show because for every episode there were three fights so you needed six celebrities for each episode and they always had to be voice matches and so i would get to see the creme de la creme of the voice acting world come through that recording studio door every episode because they were either the best voice match actors who also tend to be some of the best actors too and occasionally you get somebody who was brand new to voice acting, but they just so happened to sound exactly like a celebrity. So some of them wasn't, some of them weren't even very good at the acting part of it. These right. were the ones who were new and, and um, you could tell that they were on camera actors. They weren't voice actors, but they could do that voice perfectly. 
but we had so many laughs producing those episodes. And anything I do or say is Nick Diamond or Mills Lane in that show, I was having an absolute ball. And then the other show was Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, which was on uh, Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. And I played Peter Potamus. And that was also something not a lot of people know. I took that role over because Joe Alasky, may he rest in peace, um, stopped doing the role. I think they just wanted to make a change. I think they wanted to characterize Peter Potamus just a little bit differently and take him further out. So I came in and in the few seasons that I worked on that show, the two or three seasons I worked on the show, they took him way out. And he, uh, he had this catchphrase that, you know, the fans of the show know is where Peter says, Hey, did you get that thing I sent you? You know? So I guess it was this office joke that people send stuff to each other all the time in offices and they, you know, whether it's an email or a package and they're always asking, you know, did you get that thing I sent you? You know, I, I don't know. Or make sure you got it. And with Peter, they just said, let's just make this into an absolute avatar of office waste and bureaucracy and a guy who is a complete degenerate morally. He's just, you know, he's into Hooters waitresses and, and uh, he's just totally depraved and completely oblivious to his effect on other people. And I had so much fun doing his voice and doing the, the material they wrote for him. So those, those are the two, three characters that stick out the most. I had the most fun being a part Brilliant. of those. I mean, it sounded from the voice there that it was just that, that, that was a really good, really good voice to be honest. I mean, I, cause I do a lot of voice acting myself, um, not professionally, but I have done, you know, I do voices and stuff. I play around and do voices during like YouTube videos and everything um, gotcha. and accents and everything. And I honestly listen, I listen to voice actors and think, you know, they change so drastically from their original voice and it's i I, i've never been able to figure out how to get that because i can do some characters but there's things like changing it to a really high pitch i always struggle you know doing what you've just done well some of that some of that's just physiological some people's voice boxes i think are just i mean i do not know the uh the um the science of it as well as some other voice actors do. Some other voice actors really know this. Some of them have taken lessons, voice lessons. Some of them work with uh, vocal coaches and speech therapists to make sure that they're taking care of their voices as well as they can. And they understand the different areas of your mouth that come into play, the different areas of your throat, your tongue, your, your, uh, you know, the roof of your mouth, um, how your teeth play into it. So they get into all of that. I've always sort of intuitively done that. So as a kid, I think we all do this. As kids, we test our voices. We see what's the range we have. What are our boundaries? And I found that my boundaries were a little bit broader than other people's. And that was just a feature of my physiology. Because some um, some people have a very good ear but they don't have range because they're simply limited in what they're able to do with their voices. And, and I just think that that's how they're built physically. Other people have fantastic range, but they have a tin ear. They don't hear very well. It doesn't mean they're hard of hearing. It just means that they can't pick out different tones, different keys, different pitches. 
they can't pick out features of a person's voice to mimic. And so they're missing one of the two key components. You need an ear and you need the range. It is possible to broaden the range that you have, but there are going to be limits. Like I'm never going to be able to sing like Mariah Carey yeah. or Sam Smith, um, but I can hear them very well. I can hear what they're doing. I just can't do it. I'm limited. And some people will never be able to get their voice as high as I can, but they can go lower than I can. And I've, I've got a decent range octave-wise. Like, I'm not a singer. I could probably do three octaves singing, but with no real training, I'd, I'd make a lot of mistakes. Mm. But I believe that you can stretch a bit. So right. in your case... Like, like you've got a natural, uh, good bit of texture to your voice. You've got resonance to it and your natural pitch probably is a little bit lower than mine, hmm. but I can hear you've got a top end too that, um, that you could probably push a little bit with maybe the right vocal exercises. Um, I wish I knew what those were, but, uh, you know, D. Bradley Baker has a website and it's called I want to be a voice actor.com. Somewhere in that website, I am willing to bet he refers to vocal exercises or an approach to vocal exercises that you could use to maybe stretch that, that range you have. Right. But um, without working with you specifically, it's, uh, the question would be, if you're not getting the range you want, it's either because you're not hearing it quite the way you should, so you're mimicking the wrong thing, or you're just, you're, you're, you're coming up against a, uh, a range limitation. And you right. might be able to stretch that. Like, for you, is there a voice you want to be able to do and can't quite make it, but you're close? I mean, pitch-wise, I would say one that I've always tried to do has always been something like SpongeBob. Okay, yeah, it's quite it's quite a high in. Uh, it's relatively yeah. fast as well. Um, yeah, that's extreme. Tom Kenny. Now, Tom Kenny's yeah. natural speaking voice is not that different from SpongeBob's. If no. you see interviews, yeah, he, you know, Tom's a little bit higher up here, you know, and he gets talking, you know, and he can talk kind of fast, you know, and then ah, you know, he gets up higher here, and uh, actually, um, John DiMaggio talked about this in a Vanity Fair interview he did. Um, SpongeBob, you know, when Tom Kenny does SpongeBob, when he does this like that, yeah. he's actually taking his finger and he's rubbing it over his Adam's apple like this. He says, people don't know Tom does that. A lot of people try to do it without doing that. He says, you're not going to be able to. So there are little things that are happening in the studio that sometimes you don't see that the actor is doing to get that voice out. And so... yeah. You've got such natural texture to your voice that, you know, you have to get rid of all of that for SpongeBob. Yeah. You know, SpongeBob's way up here. And I doubt I'm even close there. So <laughs> close than I'll ever get. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, honestly, one good way to stretch your voice is just to hit your limit. You know, don't do it too much because you don't want to strain yourself. Mm. But um, uh Actually, a lot of this is true in athletics. If you're loose, you're going to have more power. Like I play softball, yeah. and uh, if you want to hit the ball really far, 
a lot of people grip the bat really tight and they try to swing as hard as they can, but the ball uh, goes far because of bat speed. You hit the ball yeah. far because of bat speed. You can't get bat speed if you're gripping the bat too tightly. You need to be loose. When you're loose, your joints flow smoothly. The bat whips around. You swing quickly. Same thing goes with your voice. If you are tight, then you are probably not going to get the breath you need to push the sound out, and you are going to produce a much more constricted sound. You might experiment with um, perhaps your breathing and perhaps how relaxed you allow your vocal cords to be before you try and hit that upper range. That's something more for a vocal coach, but um, yeah. yeah. For me, I always just tried to listen to what people did and practice it. And a lot of times for me, I couldn't quite figure out a celebrity to impersonate. I couldn't quite figure out how to get there. But if I heard someone impersonate them, what uh, a mimic usually does is they take a feature of that person's voice and they key on it. And I thought, oh, now I get it. I see what they're keying on. That's the way in. Okay. And you might actually listen to someone impersonate SpongeBob and see, oh, okay, I see where they're hitting. Let me try, let me try and go in through that back door. It might work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean one of the, cause characters like, uh, stitch is one that I've, you know, I worked on for a long time and right. I feel like I got it, <laughs> got it all right. Um, and things like Kermit the frog as well, you know, Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, that was a lot of, those just are all, watch, yeah, watching those are all really. on, yeah, those are all in the same neighborhood too, aren't they? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, because, know, um, especially stitch and Gollum, the basic difference I'm gonna I would hear between Stitch and Gollum is Gollum is Stitch with more of a rasp. But yeah. Stitch is like this, which yeah. is a voice a lot of people do for other things. And Gollum is just you go lower in the throat and then you put in the rasp. And there you go. There's the big difference. And Kermit mm. is just uh, you gradually. I mean if you if you see an interview with Jim Henson, Jim Henson is, uh, he kind of already, you know, sounds like, like Kermit. And then if you just tighten it up a little bit more and go up an octave, and then next thing you know, you're Kermit. Yeah. You have to be able to go high old like that. And that's all it is, is slowly altering your voice in that direction. And there you mm -hmm. are, you know, but if those are the ones you're working on, you probably already figured all that stuff out. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, Go Gollum's been a, been a been a good favorite of mine for for many years to do. Um, oh yeah, it's been many Everyone a Halloween dressing one. up as Gollum, which oh, as yeah. a, looking back on it now wasn't very flattering. Um, but as a kid, it was always fun. <laughs> of course, and have you seen the? You must have seen the uh, documentary footage, like the behind the scenes footage of Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Have you seen the concoction that they made for? Mm. Um, uh, God, I'm, I'm forgetting the, uh, the actor's name. Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. Yeah. They had a squeeze bottle. It's like a, an empty ketchup condiment bottle full of this stuff that must be, I mean, it's, I, I can't remember how many different liquids and, and different viscosities they put in there and he would chug that before he would do it. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's so many things that help these voice actors get to where they need to get to produce these performances and also keep in mind we're working in relatively comfortable circumstances too you got water when you need it you got hot tea you got a whole tray of things that you need to keep your voice in shape nice air-conditioned booth 
top, top end microphone and somebody editing it later on for all the screw ups. And then yeah. here you and I are at home trying to just sort of conjure these things up out of thin air. So keep that in mind too. Yeah. Well, that actually talking about Andy Circus, you know, kind of, I always wanted, because Allegra Clark on Twitter mentioned that the Old Ways event for Apex, that was mm. the first time that she ever did motion capture for Bloodhound. Ah. So did, did you do motion capture beforehand? Have you done motion capture for Pathfinder? Is that you in like the trailers and stuff? Right. In the trailer, that is not me. Right. That is, obviously it's my voice, but they have actors do that. Now, Roger Craig Smith and Chantel Van Santen are doing the motion capture, the performance capture yeah. for Mirage and Wraith. For Pathfinder, I believe they got somebody, I think that just physically probably had the moves they wanted. I don't know why I never even auditioned to, uh, to do that character, but it could be because he's a robot and he's going to move the way they want him to move. Yeah. And it was very, very specific. I have done performance capture. Um, right. I actually, I did it for a respawn game last year and earlier this year. I'm not allowed to talk about the game. Obviously. So <laughs> when it is announced, it'll be announced later this year. I'll be able to talk about it. Brilliant. But um, I had done it before and not a lot of it, but I had done it enough. And it reminded me of doing theater in the round in college because yeah. in in theater in the round, the audience is literally all around you, 360 degrees. And in motion capture or performance capture, the, the difference being that in performance capture, they're also capturing your face, either through a yeah. camera or through all those little dots. When they're just doing the motions and not the facial stuff, it's the mocap, as we call it. Yeah. Um, performance capture is theater in the round because the cameras, there's one camera that's sort of on you. It's capturing that information from a certain angle, but they also have a rig set up, a volume as they call it, with cameras capturing all 360 degrees of your performance. And so you've got to be aware of everything you're doing. So cheating an angle for a close-up is not the same thing when you're doing performance capture. They're getting all of it. Yeah. And so that's, you know, it's, it is closer to being on a set doing a movie or TV show than it is doing a voiceover gig. Even though they're capturing vocal performance as well, they're going to re-record a lot of that yeah. later on. So give the performance that you would normally give, knowing full well that some of that's going to be replaced later. Yeah. Well, I mean, motion capture has always been an interesting thing for me. I mean, watching back the season four trailer with uh, Revenant when they put it on Twitter with the stuntmen, you know, it's just incredible watching how it all works and then seeing the final product and everything and it's always something oh, yeah. that kind of for me i've kind of thought that's that's something i'd love to do you know it just have looks you, so fun have you had a chance to ever visit uh an actual set where they're uh where they're shooting a, a motion capture performance capture i haven't no um but we do have because obviously andy circus you know big with all motion capture kind of yeah revolutionized it i guess um yes. has his own studios over in london and one a bit further up north i believe um and i've you know looked at them recently to see if i can go go see them and then obviously lockdown happens so that's not been right. something that i've been able to do but it is something that i would love to do you know go and have well, a look and just see see it all happen 
Yeah, here's well, I tell you what, if you'll give me one minute to take a quick break, when I come back, yeah. I could we could talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, give me just one minute. I'll shut my mic off. I gotta Brilliant. run out. I'll be right back. So while we take just a quick break here, I just want to say if you haven't already go and check out my YouTube channel, Delicaster54. I make gaming content pretty much every week. Uh, I also stream over on Twitch at Delicaster54. And if you want to go and, you know, follow Chris on any of his socials, his uh, Twitch is The Edge Voice. His YouTube is The Edge Voice. His Twitter is Chris Edgley, and I believe it is also The Edge Voice. Um, and he's also on Cameo as well, and we'll do videos, obviously, for like birthday surprises, messages, things like that. So yeah, go over and check it out and enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, I'm back. Still there? Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, the uh, I would think that if you're getting into a three-year drama program, um, if they want to stay contemporary at all, they, they would at least pay lip service to what is becoming a very big part of the video game industry and that's performance capture and with yeah. just movies in general. I mean, so many characters are, are special effects, but they want a human movement to base it on. Yeah. So is there a, uh, is there any kind of apprenticeship or training program that Andy Serkis has for his studios? Uh, I believe I've, I believe I've seen stuff that um, you can go in, you can do kind of, uh, kind of do a day where you get to test it out and do it yourself. Um, you pay to do that. And I believe I have seen things on there for, you know, doing uh, kind of month, two months of doing motion capture with, with the people there, either and with Andy Circus or just with his uh, staff there um, for a few right. months. So kind of like an internship, I guess. Yeah, and I'm sure there are um, I'm sure there are programs out there that will teach you specifically motion capture and performance yeah. capture. I know that they have them here, workshops at least. But I will say that if you're just studying drama and you're studying theater, that's already excellent training. And I mm -hmm. would advise anyone, anyone who's getting into voice acting or any kind of acting, you should be in front of an audience. You yeah, can't just. 100%. Yeah, I, I think it's a rare bird that is able to create a uh, um, an impressive demo off of never having performed in front of an audience before. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I a person can probably do great voices, but until they've performed and learned how to act, then they're they're not going to be as hireable as they think they are. Yeah. You, yeah, you need the ability to read a script, make a choice, take direction, and alter your choices, and do it within a, an appropriate amount of time. So um, the, the drama training you're going to get, I'm sure there's going to be some theater and some on-camera, I would yes, guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, keep in mind when you're doing any kind of theater, whether it's proscenium arch, or if it's that theater in the round, keep in mind that theater in the round training you're, you're going to get at some point, I'm sure they're going to have you do that. Think of that also as performance capture because yeah. that's going to be a big leg up. And if you get a chance to do any kind of comedy, whether it's stand-up comedy or being with a troupe, a sketch troupe or an improv troupe, take it. Because well, um, Yeah, I've done, we did um, a show of, I don't know if, if it's ever been over in um, America, it's 
called Bouncers. Um, and it's about four bouncers on a night out and um, they switch, the actors switch between four bouncers, four males and four women all on a night out. And it's just a massive comedy sketch. Okay. Just a load of people having a drunk night out. And uh, we did that um, a couple of years ago, which was a load of fun. And comedy in front of an audience is definitely yeah. one of the most rewarding things ever. Oh, yeah. Or it could also be the lowest low you've ever felt. Yeah. <laughs> it, Stand-up is, um, I would say, any kind of uh, play or sketch show that you might do in front of an audience for laughs can be a lot of fun if they're laughing and then you share in it as a group. If you want to intensify that, do it alone as a comic. Write your own material, go up on stage, and if they laugh, it is pure heroin. If they don't laugh, it is as though somebody is hitting you over the head with a wet fish while you're having your pants pulled down in front of a stadium of 50,000 people. Yeah. So it is, um, it is the lowest low you could feel, and it is the highest high. And I, well, for uh, the, the stern of heart, I recommend it. If not, do something on stage with a troop of people. Yeah. And um, at least then you'll get that live performing, and you'll learn how to be a part of a, of a team because you're going to need yeah. that too. Yeah, well, that's something I've, I've always been interested in doing a bit of, comedy at some point you know doing a bit of stand-up um i never used to be good at all um i've kind of i believe this is just my opinion that i have kind of improved a lot more on it so it is something that i would i would look up and doing at some point oh yeah anything you do over and over again you're 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 bound to get better um i have not done stand-up in a long time um I had a period of 10 years where I was working as a road comic. And that is when at least from a, um, from a performance standpoint, that is when I was probably at my best. My material was not uh, my best then because I was busy trying to move up in the clubs and I was playing it too safe. Um, when I stopped doing stand-up on the road and started doing voice acting professionally instead of stand-up, and I would just do occasional sets around town in LA, my material got better because oddly enough, I didn't care about impressing the industry. I just did the stuff I wanted to do. And my colleagues, my, my stand-up colleagues said, your act is, is uh, funnier and braver now um, than when you were on the road making a living at it. And I said, yeah, I guess because I just don't care. <laughs> and yeah. I, I found you that if you just, yeah, exactly. You, do it for you. Recognize there's an audience there yeah. and that you do sort of owe them some attempt at making a connection. Mm. But it doesn't mean you have to pander. I've always thought that the best stand-up is when someone is up there clearly doing stuff that they genuinely want to talk about, but they have found a way to reach any audience they're in front of and make that stuff accessible. Like, um, I, I think that... Uh, I have, a, I have a comedian friend that I worked with that said to him, Billy Connolly was the best he had ever seen because he went on stage and he did pro-IRA and anti-IRA material in front of the very same audience and got everyone laughing at, at both of it, at mm. both bits. And he said, this is clearly not pandering. 
because you're taking a risk at pissing off everyone that five minutes before was in love with you. And he made everyone laugh at both sides of it. And he says, that is a real feat to pull off. So that's the kind of stuff I admire when somebody goes to a place where they could easily um, alienate their audience, but they've found a way to let them in. It's like, that's the craft of it. Because anyone can get up there and just make an audience laugh. It's actually not that hard if you know the safety points to go for it. You know the safe jokes and all that. They're there to laugh anyway. That ain't hard. It's doing it as yourself in a way that allows you to be yourself genuinely and talk about the things you want to talk about. If you can figure that part out, and I was just starting to get better at it. Um, And then I said, well, enough of this. I'm doing voiceover. (laughs) (laughs) It takes time. Yeah. Well, there's, so I got a couple of questions from uh, some, some people that uh, I put out a video a couple of days ago, uh, just saying, you know, if there's any questions, please put them forward. Yeah, sure. Um, So I just got a couple of quick questions. Uh, So I've got Enza Danino has asked, uh, what are the differences that you found with voice acting for like gaming versus TV and which one do you prefer? Uh, Good question, Enzo. Thank you. Um, There are two main differences. Um, One of the differences is that voice acting uh, is different writing wise. Even if it's following a traditional narrative arc, you're not going to experience it in the way that you would watching a TV show. A TV show is entirely passive. Whereas with a video game, you're interacting with the story and the characters in the story. So, so much of your dialogue is like what you hear in Apex Legends. You're pinging stuff. Mm. Uh, Door over here. Uh, Grenade! Incoming! You're just getting across information. It's entirely expository. And so you're you're given a script that looks like a um, that almost looks like a uh, a bullet point presentation or a PowerPoint presentation. It's just a page with fifty single lines of dialogue, and you've got pages and pages of it, and you've got to deliver information as the character. But it's pure exposition, one sentence at a time, sometimes one word at a time. No TV writer would dream of inflicting that upon an audience. (laughs) But in a video game, that's fine. You need the information. And then, of course, you get these passages in the game that are treated almost exactly like they're a film or a piece of animation or or a TV show. They are acted exactly in the same way. You've got a character. They have a motivation. There's a story you're imparting. So that's the one way. The other way is in that you are going to have to tell every single story possible with the video game character because the player, more often than not, is the narrator. They're choosing mm. pathways, and so they are, um, they are determining what your character is going to say, whereas in a TV show, there's one story. That's it. Unless it's uh, Bandersnatch on... Um, uh, Black Mirror, where you get to keep choosing different uh, stories, you're, you're shooting one story and that's it, or you're recording one story. All the other alternatives, the writer already dealt with and said, nope, I'm jettisoning those, I'm going with this one story. So in a video game, you've got to tell every story that the character could possibly choose as far as that expository dialogue. Now, they do shoehorn you into one overarching 
overarching narrative. But in the process, you could stop. You could go down this corridor instead of that corridor. You could ask a character multiple questions. So you've got to cover so much more dialogue in a video game than you normally would with a TV show. So you've got to have, this is stamina to it that, you know, you just sort of build up over the years. Yeah. So which one would you say that you would prefer out of the two? Uh, it actually depends on the project. I've done animation for TV shows where um, I was there much longer than I should have been either because we just hadn't quite figured out what we wanted the character to be or because the director just wasn't sure what they wanted and it became kind of drudgery. Whereas I've done video games where I'm in and out uh, fairly quickly because it's an ongoing game and they don't need you to do everything at once. It's like I've got a record session coming up for a new season of um, Apex. All the actors do because every season you you do new stuff. I can't tell you which season it's for and I can't tell you what I'll be saying, but it's not going to be a long session. There's only so much stuff they can have Pathfinder say for that particular day because it's, they've got so much already covered. I don't need to say Mozambique here again. I've done it. They've got that banked. So that's going to be a quick session and it's going to be easy because Pathfinder doesn't do death noises. Pathfinder doesn't scream at anybody. He just sort of projects a little bit. So, the thing that always made it challenging about video games was how many times you had to die. I mean, it really doesn't get any more complicated than that. (laughs) I had to, for one of those Lord of the Rings games, I did two hours in a row of death noises and my head was throbbing at the end. And I thought this Mm. is actually kind of hard. It's the greatest job in the world, but it's kind of hard in general. In general, if you just said, you have a choice tomorrow between uh, an animation gig or a video game gig. Um, which would you choose? They pay the exact same. I'd say animation. Not because right. I don't like doing video games. It's just that I've pulled way back from doing them because they can put your throat under quite a bit of strain. They yeah. are better at giving you breaks and about breaking it up. So it used to be back in the day, 15 years ago, they didn't do that. You know, you had four hours of screaming, get ready. So I, just from a character and a uh, story standpoint, it's easier doing animation. It's not necessarily better. Um, A video game could be something that is really detailed and and very well um, developed. And it's a pure joy to read the character. But just in a blind taste test, I would move towards animation. Brilliant. Well, I've got, Another question, which is from Daniel Haynes, and he has uh, asked what game franchises or big upcoming games would you like to be a part of? Hmm. Well, hi, Daniel. Um, uh, We voice actors are uh, like anybody else. We like to work. So um, one job isn't necessarily just like the next but we love to work and we love to do as varied uh, of, um, we like to engage in as varied a field of work as we possibly can because it's fun. So I would think any, I would love to do another first person shooter that is like Apex that has an ongoing story. 
Now, of course, that means it would be by definition in competition with Apex. So I wouldn't want to see right. one take out the other at the knees. But yeah. I love the fact that I've stepped into a community of fans that interacts with not just the game, but the voice actors themselves when they make themselves available. Hmm. I would love to be a part of a game that is ongoing. Not one that you play for 30 or 40 hours and you finished it, now you move on. I would love to be a part of a game, any game, that has an expanding universe and an expanding story because that means, um, on the one hand, you know, you selfishly think, oh yeah, well they have to bring me back in a few times a year, every year. Yeah, from a work standpoint, that's nice. But I actually, as a streamer, I love to play the game and interact with fans while I'm doing it. And I love doing it with Apex, but I would love to do it and see what other fans are out there in, um, in, other, uh, in other game universes. So any game that gives me a chance to, um, to interact with its community, I'd be, I'd be very happy to do. Brilliant. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, you've just answered one of my questions, which was actually, what do you uh, love about Apex really? And, you know, talking there you've kind of answered it i guess that's a big big part of it it really is i mean Mm. i love the pathfinder character he's really fun and um i love working with the people that i've met uh i'm actually going to interview one of them soon eric kraber he's uh the director of a lot of the sessions i've done right and um everybody is just really cool i've interviewed moi para who is one of the animators i've interviewed uh, Manny Hagopian, who's one of the writers, I'm gonna interview um, Tom Cassiello uh, in two or three weeks. And you've, Another you've got writer. Aaron DePaul in two weeks, don't you? Yeah, I've got Darren voice DePaul, of Darren DePaul on voice the, of Revenant. Yeah, twentieth, the voice of Revenant. I've mm-hmm. interviewed all the voice actors. I'm going to eventually interview Frida Wolf. Yes, uh, if I can get her to commit to a, a day and a time and all that, but she seems to be down for it. Um, So I love that interaction, and I don't know if anyone has noticed, but my stream is not your normal stream. I don't sit there and stream for hours and hours and just do gameplay and Mm. occasionally acknowledge the chat. I get into it like it's a talk show. 100%, um, yeah. Yeah, and I would, I guess it's pretty obvious that I would rather just be sort of a Jimmy Kimmel who also happens to play the game or, uh, you know... um, or a Jimmy Fallon, I don't know, one of the Jimmies. <laughs> I, would, I would much rather just be a guy who hosts a show and has personalities come in, and I occasionally jump in, and I play, and I have you know, other characters that drift in and out, um, because that means that my way in to the audience is being a part of the game that they're watching. Eventually, I guess I could become more of, you know, it'd be nice if they knew me more for just, not just the one game, but for the other voice acting I've done, but also just the fact that I'm bringing them people that they're interested in. So the, one of the things I've loved about Apex isn't just the fact that it's a, a supremely well-developed uh, and executed game, even with the hitches they have, because it's an online game. Exactly. So I mean, every game has its always, problems yeah, every, every then, so. yeah, every game has bugs. Um, but the fact that they go out of their way to address the community whenever they can, and they have made it 
very, very easy for me to create a stream and do the same thing. They've always had my back. If I've ever had a question about whether or not I could do something as Pathfinder, I ask them and they get me an answer. So I love the fact that they have allowed me to realize this new facet of my career. And it is something that I see as a definite new chapter, not just in my career, but in my life, because I, I just turned 50 earlier, uh, well, later last year I did. And um, I love the fact that because of Apex, I've gotten into streaming. And now because I'm in streaming, I'm realizing that, hey, there's a show I can create and I can run it more like a show than it is a stream. And that's something I'm very excited about. So mm -hmm. one of the things I love most about Apex is that it's given me that opportunity. And um, yeah, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, I mean, not only that, the stream is, it's yours. You know, you're not hiding right. behind, you don't have producers kind of telling you this is how it's going to work. This is the segments you've right. got. This is how it runs. It's yours. You choose what you want to do. You do what you want to do, which, you know, the freedom of that must be so brilliant as well. Well, it's, it's actually something I try to tell other actors about. Some of my veteran colleagues don't know anything about streaming, don't want to know, which is cool because they have lives to lead. It's work. It's not easy not to do it well. Anybody can just turn on your stream and then play for a couple of hours or six hours, whatever you want to do, and then turn it off and just dump the VOD, you know, dump the video on demand onto YouTube if you want and let somebody watch it unedited. That's fine. That's mm. And a lot of people have very large audiences and they do that, much larger than I'll ever have. But what <laughs> I made a decision to do early on is, now I want to edit this because I, this, this is my journalism background. I have, a, I have a degree in radio, TV, and film, telecommunication arts. So we would, as one of our class projects, you'd have to make a video or you'd have to do a talk show and you'd have to edit. And so you put together a show and there's a real art to it. There's a craft to it. And I like having the autonomy of being able to do that. Even though as autonomous as I am, I still need mods for my stream to direct traffic and to explain mm. to me what the hell this or that thing might be because I don't know anything. <laughs> and I still need my brother Dave, uh, Pappy Dave, his gamer tag, to do graphics and to help me with tech. And I still need people to explain to me how I use this or that piece of software occasionally. So even with all that autonomy, you still have a, a crew of people that you have to rely on. But for actors and for voice actors, for people who are wondering what they're going to do during the lockdown, I tell them, start learning how to create your own content. Even if you're not streaming, get your iPhone, make videos, put them on YouTube, start learning algorithms, start learning analytics, start learning the business of it because... This is not something that you might have had to do before, but this is the marketplace. This is the marketplace of content, and this mm. is where it's all going. And uh, you're absolutely right. To be able to have control over it is the most valuable thing an actor can have. Because, yeah, you can still do your auditions. This isn't going to keep you from auditioning. Mm, yeah. And if you get a job, take the job. Let your content uh, take a back seat for a little while. Let somebody else do the content for you. And get a boost from being in their show or their movie or their game. But no actor works all the time. Even the yeah. busy ones don't work all the time. They have time. And if they want, they can create uh, an industry unto themselves. I mean, this the Edge Voice Streamcast is by design 
its own venture, its own industry. And I put my name on it. The Edge Voice is a gamer tag I came up with because my corp name, my corporation is Edge Voice Inc. Yeah. So when I had to incorporate, I called it Edge Voice because that was one of my original email addresses too. It, was, um, it had Edge Voice in the name. And so I've, obviously that's changed a bit since then, but um, uh, I thought, okay, that's my corp. I'm going to make it my streamcast name, but I'm also going to, I'm going to put my name in there as well. I want people to know it's also Chris Edgerly because um, as I've learned, it's a cliche, but branding is important. And so an actor today doesn't just need to know how to act and how to be a good client and how to be good at auditioning and how to behave on the set. They also need to know how to perhaps brand themselves online and create their own content for when no one is knocking on the door. So this is all of a piece with um, an actor's overall training. I mean, I'm just coming by this stuff now because for 30 years, I didn't need to know it. It just wasn't part of what we did. But it is now, and I'd rather... I'd rather ride the wave than sit there and look at it, leave me by, you know, or pass me by. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, I mean, how, how did you kind of get into the whole streaming gig? Was it just one day you just kind of thought, Hey, this is something that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to give out, give a bit of a try to, you know? Yeah. It, you're not far from the truth there. It really was kind of a fluke and it was because of apex. There is a right. straight line leading from uh, me being Pathfinder to me being the Edge Voice Streamcast uh, host and creator. Um, I recorded Pathfinder over uh, two or three sessions before the game launched. And then the game launched and I didn't have anything to do with it. I, I didn't care. Well, it's not that I didn't care. I care about everything I work on, but I didn't care to go play the game. I didn't care to right. tweet about it because I wasn't, I was technically on Twitter, but I never used it. Mm, so I yeah. didn't, I was on Facebook, I guess, or no, no, actually, no, I was off Facebook by then. I was done with Facebook. Um, the last election cured me of Facebook. But anyway, um, <laughs> I, I was not paying attention. I just wasn't. I was aware that it launched and that was it, done. Because I didn't have time to play video games. I, I occasionally played beach buggy racing with my son which is a really fun game, by the way. So that's all I knew. And one day my brother, who I would make content with, like if you go to my YouTube channel, the Chris Edgerly YouTube channel, I have these um, shorts on there, these animated shorts called Happy Hour. We did eight of them. My brother Dave did all the animation. I did the voices and we wrote them and we put them out. We would make content. We would think, how are we going to make content that people are going to see, that people are going to care about, that we can drive traffic to so we can eventually produce revenue? So we had made these shorts and nobody watched them. To this day, nobody watches them. And I'm immensely proud of them. I think they're great. Still, nobody ever watches them and they're right there. And they'll bypass that and look at more Apex stuff, which is fine. I'm happy they do 100% I'm going to watch them. Okay. I'm going to go check them out for you. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's fun. Yeah. Um, they're, They're fun times, but they took two weeks for Dave to animate. They're very labor intensive and he did all the work for the animation, I did the voice. So we'd have these little powwows over the phone. What are we gonna do now? These damn things are too hard to make. They take too long and nobody's watching them. And at one point he said, oh, hey, by the way, you should play this game you're in. 
a lot of people really like it. It's a fun game. It's hard, but you should play it. I thought, okay, I've got an Xbox. It's free to play. I downloaded it. I start playing. I tried it once with my son because I dropped him off at a place where you could go play video games with other kids. And um, I was awful at it. And then the next time I tried it, I had noticed that you could capture 10 minutes of footage on your Xbox. Yeah. I thought, oh, okay. So if I get into the game, I could capture game footage and I could maybe do voices over it for fun, you know, just for, just for shits and giggles. Yeah. So we did that and it was kind of funny that I was that awful at this game that, I mean, I was really not good. So I get a headset. I start talking to Dave. He starts talking me through it. I start capturing footage of me playing. And then I start putting it up on Reddit because I, I just, I uh, send it to my computer. I can't remember how I did it. There's this circuitous way you can do it. But I got footage onto my computer. I edited it. I put it up on Reddit. People think it's funny. They respond to it. I start doing it more often. And then I notice that, oh, you can stream. Okay. How does that work? Well, on Xbox, you just push a button. You start streaming and you get, you know, a platform. Like at the time I used Mixer, they'll send the signal out for you and um, people might watch. And so, you know, nobody watched. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know I was on doing it. But eventually, based on Reddit, two or three people started coming over watching. And I would stream for a couple of hours and then I'd be done. And then um, after a few months of that, I started doing that around May. So it's been about a year. The first time I got on and started making videos was maybe May or June. And then in July, I started streaming regularly on Mixer. And by November, I had jumped over to Twitch because Twitch allowed you to partner up sooner and I could monetize it sooner. And I wanted to see as a business venture, if I'm going to produce content, I would like for it to be able to pay for my time that I'm putting into it. Yeah. Otherwise, there's other stuff I could be doing. Hmm. So then I get Dave to sort of work with me on um, maybe a, uh, a stream graphic or two. He gets me set up with an OBS system. He basically creates the look of my stream. Those screens the starting screen, the end screen, the, uh, the graphics on each scene that I do in my OBS. He created all of that. And he, I even flew him out to LA because he lives in Texas to set up my OBS for me to tell me what equipment I needed. So over a period of two or three months, I went from being this casual streamer to somebody who is actively trying to create a schedule hmm. where I could slowly build an audience. And I guess I went from uh, about 800 people on Mixer. I had 800 followers on Mixer, roughly. And I moved over to Twitch. And that was in November. And then um, I, uh, I just topped 10,000 recently, which yeah. is great. You know, I'm slowly building. It's still a very small stream. That's our haunted house door of our studio. Anyone who watches my stream they'll know knows the, the, yeah, the door is a character of its own. Like, I don't even know if I want to oil the hinges now. I think uh, I want to keep the door. It's, it's, an, it's a part of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's a bit it's, of character a, to the yeah. add-on to the stream. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was basically from playing Apex. And then I realized that most people just want to see me play Apex. But I, I devote one day a week because I want to build out. I don't want to just 
do one thing. I, I want it to be more than that. I want it to be the show. And the show is, Apex is a feature of the show, but the show is really about me as a voice actor interacting with the gaming community and the people who make the games, bringing them on, and of course, playing the games themselves. So I'm trying to billboard different features of the industry, but Apex was the, um, that was the prime mover. Yeah. And you obviously you do on Tuesdays, you do tryout Tuesdays and you, you know, you don't yeah. just play Apex, you play other games that obviously your mods give you kind of a game to play and you give it a go. Um, I think it was Tuesday just been, you were on with Allegra Clark playing some Portal yes. 2. Um, Portal which 2, was, yeah. Which was good, lots of fun, lots of fun watching that. It um, was, well, it, it helps if you have somebody smarter than you in the game to figure it out. <laughs> And I just sort of tagged along, but uh, yeah, Allegra kind of knew what was happening. So I was, and I I think, was happy to just sort of piggyback there. Yeah. Well, I think the, be the best part of watching, you know, voice actors like you and Allegra on, on Twitch is obviously, you know, you get so much content out of it and so much fun out of it. I mean, you guys doing different voices together, back and forth, having chats as like Pathfinder and Bloodhound, yeah. you know, just it creates something else that other streamers can't do. And I think that's that's what kind of separates you from the rest and what is, you know, something that will help you to skyrocket even further than you already have. Well, I've figured out that um, I figured this part out early. I looked and noticed that there were generally three types of streamers who did very, very well. One was the uh, the, the pro gamer or just the expert somebody that clearly knows the game and clearly knows how to play so that when people tune in, they, they learn there's takeaway and they just admire the skill this person has. The second one is uh, basically the very attractive woman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's, there's no two ways about no. it. Yeah. There are, there are women on who are just, just, they're just very attractive and they're really great with talking to the chat. Now, some of them also, are really good gamers. And I would actually venture to say that just to be fair, it is an incidental feature that they are very attractive. They also yeah. happen to be really good at the game, but let's face it, people like to look at someone who is really attractive. And then mm. there's probably some guys out there who are just, you know, maybe, you know, maybe people think they're just really good looking. They like to watch them. So, yeah. And so that makes it no different than any other business. I don't care what business you're in. Good-looking people do better in that business than the people who aren't as good-looking because people just like to give handsome people money. I don't know yeah. why that is. Mm. That is just the way it is. So if you're a streamer and you're very attractive and you're successful, it's not just because you're very attractive. So don't, don't take it the wrong way. No, yeah. But it is an asset and um, use what you got. It does help with got. growing. It, it growing does help. Uh, I, I do not... Uh, claim to fall in either of those first two categories. Um, you know, I clean up well, as they say. Um, but uh, no, I'm not, I'm not pulling them in based on, you know, looking like a young Johnny Depp. So the third category are the fun ones, the entertainers. And I thought, okay, that's what's going to do it for me. The fact that I have this pseudo celebrity status in the gaming world and I'm on this game and then people know me from other games. They People come in because of Pathfinder and then they discover that they've grown up listening to me. Mm. They didn't know it. So there's this sense of discovery 
uh, as the producer Robert Evans liked to put it, one of his favorite things producing movies was he loved discovering a new property and he loved discovering people, actors. And I love when people come on and they discover that I've worked on these other games. And so with me, I realized that um, if I'm going to make this work, I can't pull people in with looks or gameplay. I'm going to pull them in because they're there for a fun time. They're there to be entertained and they're there to be informed because he's going to bring on people from the gaming world and the voice acting world. And so I don't know if you've noticed, but I've turned every day into its own theme. And so yeah, Tuesdays are tryout Tuesday, or as I like to call it, half my normal audience Tuesday. <laughs> and Wednesday is the interview day. Thursday is currently challenge Thursday where I just, I tell people, you know, we have different challenges you can have me do in Apex and I have to go through each match meeting those challenges. And then Friday is always playing with subs. And then one Friday a month is uh, followers and subs. And at some point, if I can, um, I may make squatting up with other people a regular feature, a regular day. It just depends on booking people to do it. Yeah. So it's, I want each day to be in its, its own event. And it's always just going to be four days. I don't, I, it's going to be 10 hours and it's going to be four days. And so that's, you, you get me when you get me. And if you miss yeah. it, that's fine. It's video on demand on Twitch, or I'm going to edit it and I'm going to put the interview up on YouTube. And I'm also doing a new thing. It's going to be, I'm going to, I basically, I'm saying it here first on your podcast <laughs> on uh, Tuesdays. Uh, starting with this Tuesday, I'm going to start putting up highlight footage from the previous week. Right. So the, uh, <laughs> the exception will be, it won't necessarily, at least not right now, be from last week's interview. That's its own. Uh, I'm two weeks ahead on interviews because I do them on Wednesday and I always release the interviews on Friday and I never get them edited in time. So it always comes out like a week or two later. Mm. So the interview going up this Friday will be different than the person I um, have that week, that, that previous Wednesday. So it's a weird scheduling thing that I'll eventually work out. But I'm going to make Tuesdays a day on YouTube where I drop highlight footage from the previous week. So if you right. watched all week and you jumped in and gamed with me, you might actually see your gamer tag or hear your mm. voice. Who knows? But I just thought, I think for people who can't make it, they, instead of combing through my streams to see what was interesting, if I put it together for them in highlight form, that might help. Yeah, and it, it gives you know, just a nice kind of sum up as well to show people what, what you, what you stream on Twitch and it will help them, you know, cause you've got a lot more subscribers on YouTube. You've got about, I think it was 35,000 on yeah. YouTube and then only 10,000 on Twitch. So this, you know, could even help with Twitch, you know, people come along, watch the highlights, they'll see the stuff that you do right. and they'll be interested in, they'll come over and look at the Twitch. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so much I'm learning about that, that the, uh, the two portals sort of lead to each other and yeah. um, you just bounce back and forth. One feeds the other. And um, there are, um, I interviewed Staycation last, uh, a little over a week ago and his interview is up now and he mentioned TikTok. He's looking into getting into TikTok because mm. some other big streamers do it and um <laughs> I'm not keen to get into anything new anytime soon because I'm yeah. juggling a lot as it is, but they put up, 
I just released uh, on Reddit and I put it up on Twitter. I didn't put it up on YouTube because all my content on YouTube now is 10 minutes or longer. Yeah. And that's, that's a revenue choice there because mm. you can do mid-roll ads, as you know. Yeah. So that's a, that's a programming choice. And so I, I got my heirloom. I got Pathfinder's heirloom gloves. Yes, yeah. And that was on the stream and it was a complete, utter fluke. If Respawn was pulling strings behind the scenes, they did it without telling me. <laughs> so I open up this Apex pack. I get three heirloom shards. I have no idea what they are. They explain to me, I go get the gloves and I'm, I'm very happy about it, but I'm very chilled about it. I put it up on Reddit. I put it up on Twitter. And um, one of the mods put it up on TikTok just as a goof. And it's got like 750,000 views on TikTok. And I thought, geez, does this mean I have to get into TikTok now? I don't <laughs> want to. I don't want any other stuff that I have to do. And um, well, plus, I mean, that, my wife tells me that TikTok is a little sketchy, that uh, yeah. they think that the, the Chinese are using it to get people's information. Mm. So I, I cannot speak to that. I do not know. I just, um, I, I, one reason why I don't like Facebook is because they, they sell your information. I don't like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm slow to, to, to get onto these new platforms until I really, really trust them. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, as you just said, your mod, your mod put it up, so you, you can just have them feed stuff through for you. Yeah, I you guess. <laughs> I'm not making any money from it, you know. No. Uh, I don't even know how you monetize on TikTok, but I'm sure there's a way. Otherwise, people yeah. wouldn't, you know. Uh, there's, if it drives people to where I am, great, uh, but I am not actively producing content for TikTok specifically. If I end up on TikTok, it will be because I did the cost benefit analysis in my head and decided that they were no more nefarious than any other major platform that I use. But if I have doubts ethically about what they do with their information, then I have to, um, I have to make a decision there. Like, I, I don't know if I entirely trust YouTube, but there is, I'm cool with in general what their standards and practices are i'm sure at some point they'll do something to piss me off but there is no better way to get across my content than youtube and twitch and so i've chosen the two platforms that i uh can live with that i'm that i'm happy to use yeah and so if i add that's the reason why oh and i do uh basically what you're doing is you're doing a podcast and you're releasing it on youtube and um i'm sure you have it in other forms as well so I've decided to take the audio of my interviews from Twitch and put them on Anchor, which right. disseminates it to different podcast forms. So yeah, I've done that as well. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, you know, this has been an absolute pleasure um, talking with you and just kind of hearing hearing your story of uh, getting into voice acting and everything and comedy. I'm kind of all out of questions. Uh, I have one more that is from a good friend of mine, Aiden Muirs. Um He's a massive Star Wars fan, uh, a big Clone Wars fan, and just wanted to ask, you know, if you were a Star Wars fan and how you came about getting the role of Ethkoth. Well, let's see. Your friend's name is Hayden? Aiden. Aiden. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Aiden, how are you? Cheers. Um, I grew up with Star Wars. I grew up with the, I don't know what it's called. Uh, I call it the original trilogy, but yes. I, is that what people call it? Yes. Or, yeah, yeah. The original trilogy. Okay. 
I grew up with the original trilogy, um, and it's odd. Uh, nobody seemed to notice that when Star Wars came out in 1977, um, <laughs> the credits crawl has episode four. And I think it started, even without George Lucas going back and retrofitting it, I think it always had episode four, A New Hope. And nobody paid any attention to that. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> we've never seen this before. We're already on part four. What the <laughs> hell happened to the first three? He had always planned it that way. I guess this was the one he could make, but mm. I saw that movie. I was eight years old. The age my son is right now was the basically the day my life changed like everybody else's did because we discovered this universe, literally a universe mm. yeah. that was created and thrown at us. And um, it was it was everything. I mean... I absolutely loved that movie, saw it five times in the theater, saw each of the first three five times in the theater. And uh, to this day, I still think the best of all nine. I've not seen episode nine, so I cannot comment on it. But the best of the ones I've seen is Empire Strikes Back, episode five. Mm. Um, To me, it's hands down, nothing is even close to that one. But when you grow up with that, obviously... You, you know, it's in, it's in your blood after a while, but what people also forget because they just weren't born yet. They didn't know this, but from 1983 to 1999, there was no star Wars. There was no content. There was a brief lived cartoon called droids, which you can find on YouTube. Yeah. Which came on, I think in 84 or 85, which I did watch whenever I could. I think it might've even been before that. Um, but, I mean, it didn't last very long, and it was mainly just C-3PO and, uh, and R2-D2. And it had the sound effects from the movies, which I thought was really cool. But for the most part, there was no Star Wars. There were Star Wars novels, you know. They had people writing books, but you couldn't see a Star Wars TV show. You couldn't see, you know, there was no Mandalorian to catch on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. There was no, um, I mean, for a while, you couldn't even watch the movies on VHS because they weren't out. And so you just sort of had to live with the fact that they existed in your memory. And sometimes they came on cable and that was it. And then finally they came out on, uh, on VHS and everybody scooped them up. And then we thought, when are we going to get more? And in the early 90s, I heard people talking about when they were going to make more. And finally in 99, you got the next trilogy, you know? And so mm. since then people have been spoiled because you can just get Star Wars stuff whenever you feel like it, but it, no, it used to be you had Star Wars trading cards and toys and board games and things, but you did not have um, episodic content aside from something you could read like a comic book or anything like that. But there was no show or movie, new movie that you could watch. That's 16 years. 15, 16 years of not having it, you could not do that to people today and say, yeah, by the way, we'll, we'll get the next episode of The Mandalorian out in 15 years. So they, they'd storm the castle. But um, so imagine being that big of a fan of it. And then one day, I think it was in, oh, I don't know when my episode of The Clone Wars came out, but I think it came out in 08, maybe? Might have been, no, I think it was 09 that episode came out. So it was most likely sometime uh, mid-08 or early 08, I auditioned. 
And right. it was just like any other audition I do. Um, it's one of a group of things I read for that day because I'm very fortunate to have pretty much daily auditions. And I didn't think about it. But I remember in the breakdown, which is the description of the character, they said, we're looking for a different kind of accent. We don't want it to be, you know, obviously this is in space. So Ethkoth is not from India or Pakistan. But they said, we want it to be of that region. But he is not Indian or Pakistani. We just wanted to have that sort of feel to it because that's how we imagine the character. And so I did what I thought was a basically uh, a sort of a Pakistani or, or Indian that was, uh, that was a more of a sibilant S and not the, the harder S that you could hear it depending on where you are in India. And I even, I talked to uh, Zara Fuzzle about this. She's the voice of the AI announcer in uh, Apex. And she is from, uh, she is um, uh, Asian. She's from the subcontinent, India and Pakistan. And she said, yeah, it depends on where you are. And I said, all right, I'm going to go with that choice. And they said, we like that. Everybody was doing this hard, cliched accent. We didn't like it. And we liked yours because it was soft. And obviously, you know, the way you interpreted the character. So they went with that. And normally when you record that show, they record as an ensemble. The whole cast records together. But I was working on something else that day and I couldn't make it. So I came in on my own and Dave Filoni just directed it. So it was just me and Dave Filoni working on it that day. And um, basically Dave, I think he's just been handed the keys to the kingdom as far as yeah. content. And at the time he was just this cool guy in a cowboy hat. Yeah. It's like, Hey, all right, let's work on it. Let's do this. Let's try that. You know, we didn't belabor it. He liked what I was doing. I did it. And he said, yeah, we were going to kill you this episode, but we decided not to kill Heath Koth. So I don't know. We might kill him off later. Or we might bring him back. I said, all right, great. Well, I'm glad I'm not dead. They, <laughs> you know, they've yet to bring him back, but it was my one off uh, performance. I had a great time doing it. I am thrilled that I got to work with Dave Filoni before he was famous, as I like to call <laughs> Before, I mean, even then, I think people knew who he was, but it's just funny to me to see how huge his impact has been and, and how big his contributions have been to mm. this entire body of work. And just to know that for one day I got to, to just be one guy in a studio being directed by him, creating this character with him. Brilliant. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that, I mean, he, yeah, he did kind of just go from, you know, being no one. And then the Clone Wars, I guess, is what kind of shaped him because everyone, says you know the mandalorian's the best tv show that's star wars tv show that's ever been but they don't think about the clone wars because it's a cartoon so they think ah, oh, it's a kid's yeah. show you know it's made for kids but in hindsight when you look at it and watch through it it's it's not you know it is made just for star wars fans it's a kid's right. show it's a cartoon yeah and it's yeah. available for them but it is made for the older generation who are wanting to learn about more about star wars and the story that's going on and mm -hmm. it's got a lot of kind of adult content in there that's hidden like they do with a lot of you know like disney films and stuff oh yeah um, and in my opinion that's the best star wars show because it's got so much and it is you know what kind of skyrocketed star wars star wars star wars further in the sense that it's opened it up to so many more pathways 
and it gave Dave Filoni the chance to use his knowledge that he's learned from Star Wars to create even more. Yeah. And it's it going to go over the years. Show. Yeah, they, a lot of people really love to uh, to recall that, and hmm. um, and yeah, I know that they've uh, they've continued to produce um, new animated series for it. Hmm. Uh, I mean, what did they? It 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 came after the Clone Wars, but um, I mean, I have some friends that work on it. I can't remember the name of it. What was the next series after Clone um, Wars? Rebels. Rebels. That's one. right. That's right. Vanessa Marshall's on that. She's awesome. Um, no, a lot of great voice actors in there. And I, yeah, you, you have to kind of Trojan horse a lot of the uh, content for the older, for, for us older kids, as I like to call it. Mm, yeah. Because you, yeah, I mean, you want the kids to enjoy it too. And, but Star Wars as a movie works just fine if you're an adult or you're a kid. I followed yeah. it just fine. It's got a really basic story. And yeah. Joseph Campbell talks about this. Joseph Campbell gave fascinating interviews about the hero's journey, mm. which I invite anyone to discover because it will teach you about storytelling yeah. and about humanity. And um, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey is what George Lucas was heavily influenced by. Yeah. That and Kurosawa's hidden fortress mm. and Westerns just it, it's all archetypes. It's yeah. all archetypes. And even the dialogue is very generic. I mean, the window dressing is the details of the universe that he has created. So you get proper nouns that are not ones you've ever heard before. You get, um, you get ideas and concepts that seem a little strange because they're alien, literally. But when you look at the broad story, it is an extremely common story, but that's why it's so effective. It's a, it's a hero's journey. And the reason for me why Empire is the best of all of them is because it takes that, that very basic story and adds some really fantastic layers and it's an act mm. two act two is where everything gets dark and everything yeah. just goes to hell and it leaves you hanging but um in in a tiny micro way i am a part of that story i'm i'm one character that existed for one episode on one series that is a part of this universe but i'm thrilled at that because i get to say that i'm a jedi and that eight-year-old me, if he was told later on that he was going to get to do a voice in a cartoon based on this universe, I would have freaked. I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> well, Chris, um, I'm, I'm all out of questions now. <laughs> oh, it's all good. You got um, me for two hours there. I, yeah. You know, didn't I mean, see that coming. thank you so much. Um, I just want to say once again, you know, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, come and just chat with me. Um, it's been absolutely amazing and especially for me, um, you know, cause during this time it's, it's difficult being at home and stuck, not being able to do stuff. Um, and mentally it's not been easy. So I really appreciate you coming out. It's really, you know, brightened up everything. Um, Oh, well and, hang in there. I mean, yeah. hey, look, you've got fields to walk through and maybe they seem mm, kind of yeah. quaint. Maybe they seem a bit, uh, de rigueur because you've grown up around them, I guess. But, um, a lot of people, myself included, would be very, very happy to have that kind of wide open space to walk around in. Mm. When I was younger, I used to walk constantly with music in my ears, and that's where I would work things out. I would, I would uh, come up with ideas. I would come up with um, goals, plans, what have you. And um, 
Uh, I'm sure it's not easy uh, being kind of locked down in those other ways, but you producing content like this gives your day a little bit more form and structure. Yeah. It's very important. Mm. So yeah, keep doing that. And if it's possible for you to put in um, a list of goals for yourself for a week from now, six months from now, a year, five years, do it, do it. It's, it's the kind of um, rudder and North star you're going to need. And, and that's just not you. That's everybody. But I would, I would definitely, I would strongly advise if you can try and do that. Well, uh, thank you once again. Um, yeah, sure. It's been brilliant and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Um, rest of mother's day and yeah, I hope you hope to, you know, see you again soon. Maybe hopefully play with you on, uh, apex at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, when you get the podcast ready, just, uh, just sort of, you know, mention me on Twitter and I'll try and signal boost you. Brilliant. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, and, uh, not at all. Yeah. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Be well. Thank you. Take care. You too.